Brennan, and we have a bonus episode for you tonight. We have another interview. Uh, people were liking it, so tonight we have the director of the new dark comedy Groupers playing in select theaters this fall. I'm talking to Anderson Cowan. What up? Good to have you on, Anderson. Uh, this will be How playing... are you, Brennan? Oh, I'm, I'm doing well. Are you? I'm fantastic. I, I, I still... Uh, enjoy hearing those words uh, that this movie is going to be re- released this fall. It's just, it's still kind of surreal to me. In theaters, you got the you got the whole thing down. I mean, you know, real grassroots to all the way to the end. But uh, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about all that. We will. Um, this will be coming out in LA uh, September 27th at the Lemley Theater, uh, and it will also be playing in select theaters in New York, Chicago, Washington D.C., Atlanta, and San Francisco. We will tell you how to get tickets to that at the end of the show. Uh, so, Anderson, you have been working in radio for a long time. You've got several short films. Uh, you have a couple podcast shows of your own. Uh, what are some things people might know you from? Uh, probably as far as the, the, the widest net was, uh, I worked on Loveline, which a lot of people, um, in various markets are familiar with, with the old Adam Carolla over there and, uh, Dr. Drew, I, I worked on that show for 17 years and, uh, I kind of fell into radio before you asked me how I got into that. I, I mm-hmm. didn't ever really have any interest in being in radio and, uh, it's a long convoluted story, but I became obsessed while on opiates with a certain uh, sports radio show and ended up meeting and becoming friends with the host of that show. And then I was producing his show within like three months. So, and then it was all kind of downhill from there and radio breeds complacency. And I did nothing with my film career for a number of years. And, uh, but I lived a lot of life and I saw a lot of stuff and I heard a lot of calls. Yeah, no, I imagine then like, you know, all the different calls you get in, um, I imagine probably had, parts played into this movie uh, as well as the other shows what are some of the shows that you do nowadays you know we can find on uh, itunes spotify yeah. all those podcast apps yeah thanks for getting the plugs right up top i appreciate that uh i do a uh, a couple uh regular basis film related shows sorry brennan but uh, a little, <laughs> little competition there one's called the film vault been doing that one for over a decade now uh and we review uh new movies uh, usually at least one in theaters every week and then we do a top five every week and that's called The Film Vault. And then I also do cinematics with a, a broadcast film critic association member in Greg Srizavosti. And we do deeper dives into movies and uh, smaller movies on that show. Uh, flattered you call it just competition. Uh, you guys have been going a bit longer, have a little bit of a wider audience, just a, sm- just a smidge. But uh... yeah, I've, been, I've been yakking about movies for quite some time. It's true. <laughs> so uh, the movie itself, Groupers, uh, if you give us the, the overview of the plot and you know some of the background of what, it's, what it's, the messages are, what it's really about. Yeah, it is actually a message movie, which never even occurred to me until I started doing these interviews. And uh, it, that comes up a lot in the interviews I've been doing recently for press, that it is a message movie. And, uh, you know, it's it's funny working on Loveline for all those years. And I did a lot of writing while I was working on that show. I'd come home and, you know, I have, uh, have a few uh, pops and uh, get the old pen and paper out. And I, I did a lot of writing uh, while drinking fresh off of, uh, you know, an evening with Loveline. And I'm sure that a lot of those calls... We're stuck in my head. I, I heard literally tens of thousands of, of troubled, you know, young people calling into that show every night. And uh, it's I think that it, it really kept my finger on the pulse as far as what people, young people in especially the United States were, were going through with bullying and homophobia and uh, mm-hmm. the hypocrisy of it all. And uh, I, I, I guess that that's probably where some of this was born out of at least influenced by me working on that show. So the. <laughs> it's a comedy. I should start by saying it's a comedy. And, right. Uh, it, the the premise is a uh, an attractive young woman named Meg. She's in her early 
20s. Uh, it turns out she's in grad school, and it opens up with her in a bar where she picks up these two uh, young men. They're actually seniors in high school, we, we soon learn. And uh, they think they're she, – she leads them out back of the bar, and they think that they're going to her place to have a threesome. They're very excited. Uh, but she has other plans, and she overpowers them with uh, swerving in her van, and she uses some some gas mask. I mean, uh, tear gas, and she puts on a gas mask, and she tases the hell out of them, and then uh, they wake up uh, strung together face to face at the bottom of an empty pool, and that's kind of the jumping off point. And it turns out that they uh, have been bullying her little brother mercilessly for for years in high school. Uh, her little brother is gay, and they have been um, calling him every gay thing you can imagine. And suggesting that homo- homosexuality is a choice. And she says, well, here's the deal. You guys, I'll let you guys go if you can prove to me that uh, homosexuality is indeed a choice by being gay for each other. And that's that's kind of the entire idea around groupers. A whole lot of other stuff comes into play, but that's oh, the yeah, premise. That these, <laughs> these two. Have you seen it, Brennan? I actually, yeah, I was at one of your early screenings um, before even it went to the festivals uh, oh, cool, last year. Cool, cool. I was in the Philadelphia show, so um, oh, awesome, yeah, awesome! I got to see that. I got to see a couple of all the other shorts. Um, oh, the the girlfriend and I really love Cold Corona. We, we really oh, love that one. Yeah, that, no, that's, yeah, absolutely. No, it was. I, I didn't even wear my grouper shirt to this interview and felt tacky <laughs> to do that. But um, yeah, no, this was a. It was a yeah. A, way different move than i was ever expecting um yeah but, what yeah. were you expecting oh uh, i don't know i mean i based on some of the movies that you love i mean i guess they're they're movies that are i, I don't know if they're always meant to be comedies but they come off as a dark comedy maybe to you and uh, yeah. sometimes to me as well um so i was expecting that and then the the sicker individuals would think it's a dark comedy but i think uh, across the board like people were laughing really enjoying themselves and i think maybe that's maybe it's just because it was the your audience that would have played for when i saw it but um no, I, I was expecting. I don't know what I was expecting, but it went a lot of places. It went a yeah, lot a places. lot of a lot of people who know my sensibilities who have seen it have been pleasantly surprised because they were and and also the teaser that's out that's floating around out there makes it look a lot darker than it actually is. And right, a lot yeah. of people were prepared to be covering their eyes and some real like you know filthy gore stuff. But I I didn't go hard in that respect with this one at all. Now, that being said, um, if all goes as planned, this is the first one in a, a trilogy that I that I have dreamt up that I've uh, written out already two other films and uh, I'm calling it the comeuppance trilogy and uh, mm-hmm. this one the comeuppance happens to the the homophobes I mean who doesn't enjoy watching homophobes get uh, humiliated and I know I do and the <laughs> next one is uh, pedophiles and, they, and the pedophiles get their comeuppance and that one's going to be a lot darker and a lot uh, a lot more gory and violent it'll probably be more of a horror film and then the final film that I hope to make is a much bigger budget than both of those. Uh, and uh, it, it, that one's about big game hunters getting mm-hmm. their comeuppance. So I, I, I have targets that I like to uh, go after. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, a lot of them are asking for it. <laughs> and I'm not a politician, so this is the best I got. I just write stories about them. Yeah. So, um, and I, I, before we go on to some of like, the back of how it's made, I when I saw it, actually, I thought of it kind of, Favorite way to compare, not to give you a big head, but it kind of felt like a Jeremy Sonier, um, well, Macon Blair. Yeah. That's the school of movie, it felt like, if any of our listeners have seen any of those movies. Um, yeah, Blue Ruin, Green Room, uh, Murder Party was their first one. And those guys were making small little, like, Super 8 and video movies all through, like, their teenage years together. So uh, they got quite a jump on me. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, they've made, some, they've made some really impressive stuff. 
Yeah, listeners, if you like that style and you're in any of those areas as we said earlier, this is it's it's that kind of movie. I think uh, people who like those will enjoy this. But um, thank you for not saying Tarantino because I heard that at a lot of the screenings, and that kind of oh. that kind of upset me because I'm not because all the dialogue, I guess, because it's not. I really guess because uh, all the dialogue and maybe yeah. the cussing, and, and I, I guess that's maybe what what they're responding to. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to think that I was influenced by Tarantino with this one. No, it's a lot more. His are a little more cartoony and like big, big. This is a little more gritty and real feeling. Like it feels like this could happen. Um, yeah, I didn't even mention what's at the center of her experiment, which is what it is. Uh, you know, getting these two homophobes to be uh, gay for each other, and it is, it, as you know, Brandon, and I won't say it here, but it is very uh, ridiculous and over the top. And that was one of the biggest challenges was trying to make this thing seem realistic with such a, a, a an absurd. Um, thing that holding it all together, if you will. Yeah, no, the absurdity of like you know the general situation. If you step back and look at it, it's like, oh, this is this is very odd scenario. But then you you look in and like all the things that are actually going on between the characters and all the things that actually you know come out as it goes on. Like you know that's that's much more like, oh, this is how these people, I guess, in this absurd situation, really would act. So um, no, but uh, going on now into. Um, uh, like some of the making of behind the scenes, whatever you were comfortable with talking about. I know this was a small grassroots effort. You didn't have necessarily any big name stars. The money was raised, um, you know, here and there kind of stuff. Um, and for some of our aspiring filmmakers, uh, the challenges in the pre-production, the all the way up through the shooting, what were some of those that maybe you weren't expecting? Uh, yeah, sure. It's, it's, it's real easy. You just, um, get lucky by working in radio with some big names and then you go back, uh, like 11, 12 years and you launch your career, your, your, your film podcast on a major network. Uh, and then you have a following built in right off the bat, which you're really lucky with. And then you continue to do that for another 10, 11 years until you get enough people that feel like they, they want to see what you, uh, have to, to offer and they'll give you some money to, uh, to make it. I did this 100% crowd, crowdfunded. I shouldn't say 100% because my partner and I have spent about 16,000 collectively out of pocket since, um, we raised the initial we uh, money. We we set out to raise seventy five, and we actually got eighty four thousand, which is great. Uh, but after everyone was paid and uh, the perks were paid back, it was more like sixty five thousand. And I, so yeah, we I, don't tell my wife, but I'm out of pocket probably eight or nine thousand dollars on this thing. But uh, I I you know just called in every favor that I had um, saved up uh, until this point. And, uh, you know, my, my, my DP and my co-producer in this is a, a buddy of mine from film school, Milan Janison, and he got the top of the line digital camera to use. We had, we were using a, a red weapon, which at the time was the, the number one cinema camera that wasn't film. And we got to use that for a, a really cheap price. And Panavision was great with us. They gave us a whole ton of stuff, hoping that we, you know, get a big budget and come back for them for every movie for the next one. That's how, how it works with these first ones a lot of times. So you will find favors. I got a great sound um, sound mix out in Chicago from Noise Floor. Probably a $20,000, $25,000 sound mix. And they did it for... I don't even. I probably shouldn't even say how much they did it for, but they did it for next to nothing. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, we we got to make like a probably a th- closer to like a three hundred and fifty thousand, four hundred thousand dollar movie for that uh, eighty thousand or so. Hey, you hear that, folks? It's it's that easy. You know, it's just uh, that, just gotta, a, yeah. <laughs> twenty twenty or so year following, and then some some hard work and some luck. That's all it takes. And uh, I, I I did everything. I've I made sure in this entire process to turn over every stone. The very first thing that I did after hiring my producer was uh, I hired a a social media crowdfunding coach, and he got a he got a taste of everything that we brought in. 
but uh, he helped me bring in a whole bunch more because we did it almost all through social media, and I, I'm terrible with social media. I don't ever – I'm barely on Twitter. I'm barely on Facebook, and he really uh, showed me a, a bunch of tricks on how to uh, make that work for me. I should also say that I, I just started 12 weeks ago doing a new uh, feed every every month – I mean every week where uh, it's called I've Got a Movie to Make, and I talk about all of this stuff in depth uh, every week for about 20 – 30 minutes i also talk about all the things that are happening in real time with the movie like arguments that i get in with my distributor i'm i'm really quite frank and open maybe to a fault and i'm i'm actually worried that uh like my distributor might actually stumble across this feed and be like anderson what the hell why are you talking about our dirty laundry but i just want everyone to have a behind the scenes look at at what what's going on Uh, i follow that one too it's on his the cinematics feed so if you get those episodes with between him and uh greg sersavosti that is his name uh his co-host there but um yeah if you want more of this behind the scenes kind of stuff making of uh it's a good good feed to follow um so you know wrapping up with kind of where you are now i mean a lot of people are like oh you actually made the movie great how do you get it into a film festival and then from there how do you get it distributed i know you had a long number of no's and a couple of yeses here and there you know how do you how do you get it in in the festivals and then you know once you're at the distributor point what's yeah yeah i had no idea uh about any of this stuff and i you know i've been a hardcore cinephile or movie buff whatever you want to call it guy that just loves movies and i watch way too many every single year for most of my life but i had purposely sidestepped the entire back end of it because i don't like the business side of it and like many of us don't like the business side of it because it's just kind of turn off, right? And uh, I'm in a position now where I can't turn my back on it any longer. So I'm learning a lot of this stuff on the fly. And some of it's kind of embarrassing that I that I don't know some of the basics. But I do now. And I'm, I'm spitting all that out every week as well on the um, – that um, I've got a movie to make. So I can also give you guys another um, really great resource if you haven't heard of Alex Ferrari who does a show called Indie Film Hustle. And uh, – he he does weekly shows. He's been doing it for years and years and years. And he, I I was actually in a, in a early on soon after I I finished the movie and screened it at the Chinese film I mean Chinese theater. Um, I I had an opportunity to, to take Alex Ferrari out to lunch and just pick his brain. And I learned so much in that forty five minute lunch that I had no idea about. He told me about this thing called uh, American film market, and it turns out. Brennan, that there's a bunch of film markets, much like there are fish markets, uh, and, and <laughs> slinging their films around. around. I had no idea that these things existed. It's embarrassing, but the biggest one is called the American Film Festival. I mean, the American Film Market, and it's in Santa Monica every November, and uh, that's kind of where I began the the process of trying to find someone to pick this movie up, and kind of indirectly, that's where I found my distributor because uh, I I ended up re- it's it's a it's a job unto itself, what, and it's the biggest one in, in in the world. But there's also one at Cannes, the Cannes Film Festival, uh, simultaneously has the Cannes uh, uh, film market going on at the same time. The difference between a, a a film festival and a film market is anyone can enter a film market. If you buy an entry fee, you can pay t- like lots of thousands of dollars, and they will screen your movie for for exhibitors or for distributors in the theaters that they block off it's it's uh it's it's really interesting and um like a couple months before the film market you're supposed to do your homework and and see all the look at all the distributors that are going to attend and start reaching out through emails and phone calls and try to get meetings at this thing that lasts about a week i only went for one day i spent uh i got a one day pass just more of a learning thing than anything else 250 bucks get you in the door for a day 
with the little like I'm I'm poor and I'm new badge, so everyone knows right off the bat that you're poor and you're new. Yeah, I'm here for one day, but, so. <laughs> and they have a, they have a lot of um, producer reps there as well, which is something that I wasn't familiar with, uh, and that's what I ended up um, attaining at the American Film Market was my producer's rep, a guy named Glenn Reynolds who runs uh, Circus Road Films, and he takes on 12 to 15 movies a year. And he will rep your movie. And he, what you're paying him for is he has his foot in the door with a ton of distributors. He has a really good relationship with a ton of distributors. So if he likes your film enough, and lucky for us, he liked groupers enough, he took it on. And then uh, what he does is he waits. He he also helped us through the festivals. And it's 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 gross, but it's the way it works. Uh, he he. I had my own list of you know through my own Google research on like what the top festivals were. I realized I didn't want to just you know throw my fat. You can get almost anything into into a festival because there's so many festivals and a lot of them are hard up to actually come up with a lineup because there's like, there's, there's something like 3,500 festivals a year now. It's it's crazy. It's ridiculous. And there's only <laughs> there's only like eight nine thousand movies made a year. Uh, so you know do the math and you you chances are you can get into a festival. But um, I had my own little list that I was targeting, and they were all at the top 20 festivals um, around the world. And then uh, once I hired Glenn, he came in with his own list, and he had a couple big ones on there that didn't show up in my research for whatever reason. And then what he does is uh, he calls up the festival programmer because he knows them, and he says, hey, a film that I'm repping has been uh, submitted to you guys. I want to make sure that the right people take a look. Because if it doesn't get that kind of phone call, a lot of the time your movie won't get a fair shake. So... We ended up getting into a top 10 festival called Cinequest, um, which is not one. There's only five festivals that can really, really help you, and they're the big ones, Cons and uh, Toronto, Sundance, and uh, Tribeca, and South by South. I think those are the big ones. Those, those are the four or five. I might have missed one. Palm Springs, to a lesser degree, Telluride, to a lesser degree, and then Cinequest is in top 10. But it's not the kind of thing that you immediately put on your poster just because you got into Cinequest. As, as big as, and what's interesting is... Uh, since getting into Cinequest, other festivals have been, you know, emailing me now, and they what they do is they go through Cinequest's um, uh, program, and they will look for movies that interest them. That's how they do their research, and then they reach out to filmmakers. So once you get into something like that, then hopefully chances are you'll be, you know, invited to others. And so that's what he did on the festival. And then he waits for the, the for it to premiere at the festival, which he did back in March, and then he reaches out to like his forty five contacts that he chose from his Rolodex that do dark comedies in the dis- distribution world. And he pitched all of them. And out of all of those pitches, we got five offers. And oh, then wow. um, I go First over the offer. Yeah, I was really, really lucky because, uh, you know, I hear stories all the time of people coming this far and then they just can't get anyone to pick up their movie and they have to self-distribute, which isn't always a bad thing either. And there's a lot of research in, in back to Alex Ferrari's um, Indie Film Hustle. Uh, he's got a, a number of shows dedicated to just the uh, self-distribution model or method. And you can book yourself on a lot of different podcasts and stuff if you do have a movie and you're self-distributing to help spread the word. I mean, there are ways you can do it on, on your own. Um, but I always thought that uh, the, the best route would be to share the uh, the profits with a distributor who has a, a greater reach than I do. And I think I think I'm on the right path with that. Nice. And I know you're you're pretty Sorry, close to I the just end. Some coffee. No, that's that's the stuff we we needed to hear. We need to uh, know the dirty stuff, the dirty stuff behind the business. Um, but I mean, you're you're at the home stretch here. You got what a couple weeks left for uh, before you hit um, L.A. is the first one, right? September 27th. Um, 
And so if people are interested in getting tickets for that one or for the other five shows in uh, what were those cities again, New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C., Atlanta and San Francisco, uh, where should they go to get tickets to those? Uh, I have it pinned to the top of my site at AndersonCowan.com. Hoping you're going to put it in the show notes there so they can just scroll down on their phone if they're listening on on their phone and uh, click the link right there. I'll put it out there when I put the show up. Uh, It'll be on our page, um, Facebook and Instagram. So if you can follow us on any of those, you'll you'll be able to find it. And what I like to think groupers, what I like to think we've created with groupers is like the type of movie that's, a, once you see it, you kind of want to talk to somebody about it because it's it's that kind of movie. You kind of want to be like, I can't believe some of the absurdity that I just saw and some of the things that were going on in this movie. It's, I'm hoping that it kind of breeds, it, it, it leads people into wanting to talk about it. And uh, I'm also hoping that it's the kind of movie that you want to kind of like discover and take credit for. And then, you, and then you can like tell your friends, hey, there's this little movie that you probably wouldn't have heard of. But uh, it's it's definitely worth checking out, and you can thank me later for it, because that's kind of what I do with uh, cinematics in the film vault uh, every week. Is I, I try and find you know movies that don't get any kind of press or, or love, but they're definitely worth 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 watching. So I'm hoping that I created one of those movies. Yeah, we're doing our best here with our with our little show to try to get the word out. I know you've probably been on some other places to try to get the word out, and um, no, it's it's worth your time. I'm coming from someone who was there when it there when it all started. I get to, I get to be one of those people now. Um, but yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thank you. I thank you for that, Brennan. Oh yeah. Um, and before I let you go here, um, we always like to end with uh, some of our uh, guests. They give a favorite movie. Uh, one, you know, a couple of your favorite movies, favorite from the past couple of years. You know, what's what? Just people get an idea of what you like to to see. Yeah, uh, that's an easy one, just because I I do top five lists every week on the film vault. I'm constantly ranking ranking things, which I don't know is a is a good or a bad thing, but it's kind of how my brain works. But uh, yeah, the uh, Clockwork Orange is my favorite all time movie. Uh, seen it probably 40, 50 times, and it's it's funny every single time I see it, and I'm still picking up new little things that I never noticed. Uh, in that movie, and uh, I just I I think it's a, a masterpiece by one of the greatest, probably the greatest filmmaker ever to exist. So that's my favorite. I mean, uh, if the fact that he gets you to as an audience member root for a, a rapist is pretty impressive. Uh, the the last uh, since the since the the year two thousand, the last nineteen years now, uh, I I'd have to say, and this sounds pretentious, especially if you have not seen the movie. But for the people that it works for, it really works, and I'm one of those people. And that's uh, a ghost story. is uh, my favorite movie of the last 19 of the new millennium. The pie movie. Uh, uh, I've, I've, the pie movie. That's he actually. I, I do believe that David Lowry, writer and director of a ghost story, put the pie scene in. Put that in there as kind of like a watermark, kind of like um, like like an obstacle. And it's it's like if you can get past this eight minute shot of her eating a pie without turning it off in disgust and boredom, uh, you have a whole two acts to really enjoy. And uh, I, I think that that was kind of like a, a little thing that he put in there <laughs> as kind of like an <laughs> F you to the audience that couldn't get through. Uh, but yeah, that's the movie that just keeps on giving. And then not to be super recent, but I think the movie that I like next to that one is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I and I know I talked earlier, earlier about how I'm not a giant Tarantino fan, but my God, do I love that movie. Yeah, no, that's... Uh, did that one on our show a little bit back. Some of our some of our other hosts don't don't quite love it as yeah. much as, uh, but uh, you know, I, I feel like a I, mixed reaction. I heard you guys talking about a place a place beyond the pines and their anger with a lack of plot or, or plot issues. And uh, I, I actually was thinking, oh, I bet they hate Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well. 
Yeah, no, my, my, my co-host, we all have different, very, very different tastes, which is why, you know, I like I like having all of us on. I'm, pro- I'm probably the closest to the typical movie critic, and then they all have just wild perceptives that I could never understand. But that's that's why we all we have them all on. Um, but yeah, did, uh, did did you have you seen uh, have you seen a ghost story? Have you seen uh, other than the pie scene? Have you seen the the full a uh, ghost story? Yeah, I, I made it through. I made it through the pie scene, uh, which I didn't find as as horrible as people say. I was looking around the whole room the whole time. I was like, yeah, this is I've, I've seen way worse. Um, but no, I, I really enjoy yeah the second half or really I guess the th- the last third is is I for me like insane like i can't it's hard to even like keep up with all of it but um no i i quite enjoyed it i, I like that movie um and then you get the score and you listen to the score like in your car and it's all moody and like you're reliving the movie it's great it's fantastic yeah definitely it's if you can get through through that first act if you can get through the pie um yeah it's it's worth it for for particular a discerning audience yes. um uh i think i think that's everything i have for you uh anderson but thank you for taking the time i really really appreciate it thanks very much for having me on brandon this is fun i uh i love talking movies and it's sorry that i didn't do my homework and realize that uh you're one of the one of the people that i met and reached out to uh, uh, when brief. i did the philadelphia I'm, screen i'm sure you've met a hundred people during that thing so you know a couple hundred so yeah but you were one of my good people that came out early for the 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 uh the, the whole shebang so i really appreciate that uh it was it was absolutely worth it um again i will be putting the link in the show notes for everyone who is listening and if you want to reach out to me directly for anything about the show recommend any movies to us if you want to be on the show if you work in film at all uh films with the women in my life on facebook for me and i am brennan underscore pod host if you want to get me on instagram uh anderson thanks for being on thanks for having me brennan until next time everyone enjoy your movies Original music for the show was created by Ian Burke. Original artwork 